0: Momentum, helping men succeed in life. Well, it is uh, Tim and Des once again for Momentum. Uh, Des, nice to have you in the studio. To with to be me. here. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. And look, we've got uh, we've got an amazing testimony about to uh, unfold for us today. It is a, a bit of a sensitive nature, and so we're just going to call this uh, this amazing man, Ian. And Ian is going to share his uh, story and testimony with us, and uh, also some some really important things. ...that he's journeyed through, which yeah. I'm sure men can relate to at some degree um, yeah. as we journey through. So, Ian, welcome to Momentum officially.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: A bit of your backstory that will give us some context of to some of the things that you've journeyed through since then. You spent 14 years working for the US government in various conflict zones. Um, I suppose Great. then, tell us a bit about your story of journeying into getting into the army. What was the motivation for that? How old were you? You know, let let's start. I suppose painting painting the picture and filling in the blanks, so to speak.
1: Sure. Obviously, I'm Australian. Even though some people might get a bit confused with being, you know, spending so long in the US. Mm. I uh, I was in the Australian Commonwealth Protective Services, and um, I uh, used to look after. I was part of uh, quite a few people uh, that looked after dignitaries when they would come to visit in Australia. So um, I was very young. Uh, I was very lucky to be in that position. I got the opportunity to look after a certain person from American Commonwealth, which is the FBI, and he held quite a high chair over there, and uh, we became um, pen pals, so to speak, back in those days. We would we would email back and forth, and I got the opportunity to uh, look after his family when they came to Australia for a holiday, mm. and uh, got to know him quite well and, and took him up to a location that was actually up near Noosa. Uh, and uh, I had a holiday because I was quite young, but uh, that was a very important job, but it was a lovely trip. And he said, you know, would you consider coming to work underneath me in America? And uh, I accepted. Uh, It just sounded exciting to me at that age. Mm. Um, Within uh, six months, I was in uh, Washington, and I was working directly underneath this gentleman who then moved me into the State Department, and so began my journey of working on American soil, so to speak. Mm. Mm-hmm
0: so tell me about then the the transition from moving into conflict like tell me about that transition and and what did that actually look like when you were in conflict
1: so what it was is um the un and the us when there was money injected in like aid money injected in foods goods medical aids and normally it was quite a lot of money for infrastructure would be injected back into a a zone that had had a conflict or Mm. a uh, natural disaster Mm. um i would normally follow the money so it's a bit hard to understand, but I would be sent in and follow where the money went or the aid went to make sure that it went to the right place.
0: Sure, cool. Uh,
1: and and or identify those people that were taking it, which normally was the case, which is why I was there. I was looking for basically people that would take the cash, uh, take mm. the, the goods, and uh, and identify that and send that information back to the the state so that they could deal with those people.
0: Right. And so tell us a bit about some of those situations, obviously without going into too much detail, but but what effect did that have on you when you were put in situations like that?
1: It was very um, confusing because my career started basically in Africa and there was a lot happening through the greater area. Uh, And um, so to see the value of life to be so minimalized, I mean, being marginalized meant nothing over there. There was no margin. You were either the strong or the weak. There was no hierarchy; you simply won or you lost, mm. and to see villages and townships completely eradicated and genocide performed it, it was um it wasn't even eye opening i think i i I went instantly numb if that can make yeah. sense like yeah. I, I was I was probably in a shock as if to go well that's not normal if that mm. makes sense like i mean yeah. you wouldn't think you think I'd be prepared. But I don't know if you can be prepared for that sort of thing, to actually mm. go in and go, well, okay, so I've got the material here. This says that there should be 600 people in this village. I'm looking at this. There's no one here to receive any of this stuff. I don't get it. You know, and then to come to grasp of, with what's actually happened and then to talk to people and go, well, no, they were all killed last week is um, surreal. Yeah. It, it's information that you really can't absorb and it? it's very hard to sort of understand. Mm. Especially so, having um, come from Australia. Yeah, you know, and, uh, oh, and my oh. lifestyle in Australia too, to face that sort of thing. It'd be crazy. I don't think you could prepare, Des. Yeah. Um, I, 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 the, I, I don't think there's anything you could really do. And I think same with emergency services personnel, with police and ambulance. They train them so well, they try to get them ready. But I don't yeah. think you can truly prepare for mm. your first event mm. Mm. until you're actually there. And it's your support network that gets you through later on. Um, obviously, I didn't have a support network. I was on my own.
0: Let's start with the first time that you experienced something like that. Yep. How did you deal with that? And then tell us then about then how that progressed over, you said you spent 14 years in that space. Mm-hmm. So, tell us about then that, that spiral from there and the effect that that took on you over that period of time.
1: Uh, great question, mate. Basically, what happened for me was I had one traumatic event and then I had a next one the next day, then the next day, then the next day. And that continued for about a month. So what what I saw in that village, I didn't get a time truly to process Mm, and actually unpack and then speak with people about. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Like when you see something, it's like, what is going on? Like Mm. this is like, I need to um, call back and find out what's going on. This is exactly right. I've got like briefcases of money. I've got food and airplanes coming in. There's no one here. Mm. I don't understand. And then next minute, I get a call that I've got to move over to this next location. I move there and something similar has taken place. What I've learned over time is scenarios were templated in my head. If you have a template that you might use for talking with people like me or you have a program guide... I basically, from that first event, had this template formed in my head of value of life as a scenario and a situation that happened. Mm. Then I had another one go on top, then another one go on top, and then another one go on top. So I had this base template that I was operating off of what I thought was the norm in that particular location, and I didn't really get a time to speak it Mm. out Mm. and to unpack what I'd seen or done, so it just became a way of life that they lived over there that's what i accepted
0: what was the moment where it all came crashing down in it and you had to get out
1: i did that work the contract work for um uh contract negotiations they called it which is a lovely title <laughs> um i did uh i uh, no business card though <laughs> um, i did that work for just over two years for the last remaining 12 years my work style um escalated my work changed Whereas I was then on to the small teams work that actually went out and dealt with the people who had taken the money. My work environment changed dramatically uh, and uh, escalated to a level where I was actually able to liaise and deal with uh, the people that were um, wanted, so to speak, mm. um, largely uh, by the UN and US. So uh, the first couple of years were complex. The last 12 years is uh, of my employment was... Um, complex, to say the least. Mm. Um, how I got out, uh, one day, I actually got truly scared. I had a moment where it was a different type of fear. I experienced fear in many, many normal ways. Uh, this particular place, I can say I, I was actually in Iraq, and um, uh, I actually got properly scared, and in my head i just say, I can't be here anymore. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. I, I actually can't be here. Mm. So it was the weirdest feeling, like I just had to get out, I had to be out And uh, it's been explained to me that I had a moment of where I've come back to myself in reality mm. <laughs> yeah. my, my, head, my head and emotions had collided and, uh, and I was spiraling horribly I uh, went back to Washington and uh, requested my resignation Mind you, I, I did find out as I handed it in that there were tallies on what year I was going to die in
2: Oh, wow, uh, if, this wow. gives an
1: example, if this gives an example of my workload, so my normal team men, my normal people that would work with me, it would it'd be a year to two years. Uh, they would either uh, die in action or they would uh, retire from the job, hmm. uh, have to leave. Um, so I did that sort of work for 12 years. If that wow. can give you an idea yeah, right. of the type of lifestyle that I lived. And, of course, once the uh, PTSD and depression sent in, um, then it became... I became a someone who I thought, I just hated everyone. But what it was, was I thought everyone was silly. I thought everyone was crazy. Everyone is so stupid back here. I, just, I was so dizzy, but it was actually me. Yeah. It was me that couldn't relate to anyone. I couldn't hear what people were saying. And that's because I had no emotion. I was absolutely yeah. numb. My emotion mm. was not working. It was gone, it had been removed. And And I had no time to share with people. I, 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 I just had no space for them. And uh, I headed into a horrible spiral of negativity, depression, my mm. worth. Um, I can't go back to that world anymore because now I need glasses. So for me, that's I'm non-operational. So I'm no good for the work that I used to do because yeah. you need glasses. You're no good in the field if you need glasses, mate. You need clear eyesight. Um, all these things were going through my head. So now I'm good for nothing. Um, yeah. I can't do this. Um, I'm angry with everyone. This is just stupid. I had lots of money um so i was doing all sorts of silly things and i was uh, completely unstable 100 percent unstable and undiagnosed at that stage Mm. as a as an australian citizen
0: yeah so so uh, so how did that change for you ian what was the moment in the spiral where you you hit the ground if you like and all of a sudden you're like i need to do something about this this is not good
1: it was actually in brisbane got to a point of a, um, a suicidal thoughts and, um, and alcoholism, and I reached out to the Keith Payne Unit at Greenslopes in Brisbane, which is the uh, uh, veterans' mental health clinic at Greenslopes there, and that began my journey of understanding the fact that my head was broken from what I'd been through.
0: Ian, I know that faith is now a part of your life, so let me jump in at this spot and say, was faith a part of your life here, or was it through this journey that you reached out to something bigger than yourself because you realized you couldn't do this journey on your own?
1: <laughs> faith is my life, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> faith is its not part of, it is. Um, so I, I met with Jesus before I went overseas. Mm. Um, I was born in Fiji, which is basically a... Uh, a christian country really um the church was their lifestyle over there so i was raised in that lifestyle I used to go to church with mum in australia uh, anglican uh, church I used to go to sunday school i finally met jesus in a personal relationship um at the age of 22. uh it took a while for me to to come to him and uh mm-hmm. i walked away obviously during that career because I became so uh, yeah. distant from him with my what I was going through that I became so logical. It had to be my way or the highway. Mm. So I was unable to hear him anymore because it had to be done by me, and we all know where that leads to. Yeah. Mm. I started blocking him out. I couldn't hear him anymore, and the, the spiral sort of started away from my faith. 2009, I came, I came back to the Lord uh, here in Australia, uh, in Brisbane, it was just the most magical moment because I just thought he wouldn't want me back. I thought I'd done mm. so much wrong. Yeah. I'd, I'd been so terrible, so horrible that I thought, why would he want me back? I'm so dirty. Yeah. Mm. I just didn't. I, I didn't belong. And and he called me back in such a beautiful, soft way as he always does, mm. and uh, communicate with you. And I fell back onto him. Uh, but he was very. Sp- about the journey that I would have unpacking what I went through, mm. and this is a very important part where I always prayed for a miracle because I I don't sleep much still. I have intrusions during the daytime constantly, all day long, uh, of of things I've been where I've been and what and what's happened. Um, sight, smell, and sounds can set them yeah. off and themed. So yeah. I get a lot of intrusions during the day. I've been praying for uh, for a miracle, constantly. You know, Lord, please take this from me. I can't serve you this broken and. As clear as a bell one day, he said, Ian, this miracle is not for you. Mm. Oh, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I I was broken. I just went, he's not going to remove it from me. He said, but I will take you through every healing of every part of your journey Mm. so that you can bring life to every area of trauma. So I will bring you out. Of all of your traumas, I'll give you healing in all of your traumas, but you will speak back to those areas of darkness with pure light so that you can tell people that there is a way out of it. It is doable.
0: Wow. Ian, there will be people listening who perhaps are doing some treatment regarding... PTSD or something yeah. like that, or, you know, they're coming out of alcohol or struggling with depression or, or, or those sorts of things. And, you know, there are those things in place that we can offer as far as doctors and treatments and medication and things like that. Can you help us through the balance of how much does that help? Versus then when you have a faith and you also allow the Lord into that space. Do the two complement each other? For someone who might be wrestling now because they're they're in this you know they're on a treatment system or a plan, and they're getting some degree of breakthrough, but but they're not fully free yet.
1: Mate, that is that is absolutely a sensational question, really. Um, so this is the, this is where you know people love to. If you're in faith, you go, but you don't need doctors. If you're with mm-hmm. doctors, you go, why do you need the Lord? Mm. Um, you know you're always going to have your debate. So this is my journey only, my journey only.
2: Mm.
1: So. The Lord blesses people to be able to be doctors, to help people, to save people, and the Lord gifts people certain talents, but the Lord can create miracles and and do miracles. This this was my journey. My journey was I didn't know what to pray about because I was in depression and I was in denial or I was drunk or I was uh, unable to come up with a process of rational thought. Mm-hmm. So for those people who say you may not need doctors, I utilize the skill of the doctor to tell me, Ian, do you realize that you're getting angry every time I talk about going shopping? I go, no, I'm not. And they would go, well, you actually are. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, I don't, I don't know why. And then we'll drill down to the fact that I just didn't like the crowds and the shopping trolleys. I know it sounds weird, mm-hmm. but it reminded me of a mess hall and having to line up and just little things like that. Mm-hmm she drilled down and found something so small and i went wow i left her office i stepped outside and i went lord i'm right here you heard that conversation come on right. now what's right. the thing what's the thing with the shopping trolleys mm. it's killing me right mm. and i and I, and i would i would take the specific issue to him as i found it so i utilized the two together the lord is always there but the skill of the doctor actually opened up my mind to allow me to sharpen my prayer mm. to Jesus, I, I think it's lovely the way you talk about your prayer life with with Christ and and you know the fact that it is such a deep one-on-one conversation, and a lot of us forget oh, yeah. that and forget that He is our friend, He is our comfort. So I think it's a, a very joyous thing. Yeah. Indeed, and I think yeah. that I I truly appreciated that more when in my prayer life. Um, the conversation got very personal. Yeah. So when when I actually became vulnerable. Yeah. Because I become so encapsulated in myself that I didn't know how to call for help because I was always the help.
0: Ian, I love that so much. But yeah. you know, when you encapsulate everything in, that you've talked about and the journey that you've been on, that's the hope at the end of that to go. I can see that now. And there is healing and freedom from this. Now, admittedly, as we've talked about throughout the journey, it, it is a mix of seeing professionals, getting the right people on your team, making sure you've got supportive people around you, whether that's family and or friends, and of course yes. for you as well, including the faith aspect. And, and together, you know, there's a really holistic approach mm-hmm. there in sure. finding in finding healing and freedom from the stuff that's, you know, like you said, that's held you back because you were stuck in that space. So, I suppose to the listeners listening right now, there is hope, there is encouragement. You've heard Ian's story. Ian, we thank you for sharing yours with us, with Des and I, and our listeners today for Momentum. It's been an absolute pleasure and a joy having you on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, guys. I I truly am blessed to actually have the opportunity to speak about the glory of the Lord, and also speak about the the positivity of uh, finding a way out of darkness. Yes. So, Yeah, It is doable. Everything's doable through Jesus.
0: Amen. That's true. Awesome. Excellent. Thanks thanks so much, Ian. It's been really good.
1: Thanks, guys. For more information, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org.